Welcome back to Parashat Shlach Lecha. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm the author of the commentary. We have already listened to part A, part B, and part C of this commentary. We've talked about the Shabbat, and now we are talking about the Tzitzit. And we are in the middle of the uh, discussion from the Shulchan Aruch. We're on the middle of page 8. If you'd like to follow along the written commentary, let's just continue with our discussion from the Shulchan Aruch, okay? Tzitzit should not be removed from a garment that is used by a person except to insert them in another garment. If a piece of a garment that has tzitzit in it is attached to another garment, the... Sorry about that. Uh, the Let me start over. If a piece of a garment that has tzitzit in it is attached to another garment, the tzitzit are not valid. But if the piece is big enough to wear, tzitzit may be inserted into its other corners. On cases where a garment is torn or a piece is added to it near a corner, uh, tzitzit should be treated with respect even if they are no longer in a garment. And so should a garment that has had tzitzit in it, but it is permitted to sleep in such a garment uh, or to wear it in the toilet or in a cemetery. Again, uh, on that passage, just commenting, just some general rules of, observ of observation. Uh, really helpful, in my opinion, especially where it says, for instance, um, um, seed seed is it's um, it's permitted to sleep in such a garment or to wear it in the toilet. Uh, I, I've had some people ask me that, you know, since this is a holy garment, what do you have to do, what do you do when you have to go to the bathroom? Well, actually, the ruling goes like this: if it's a talit, something that you can take off of your person, put on and take off that rather uh, quickly, you know, like a prayer shawl, then if you're going to leave the sanctuary, I, I suggest you take it off, leave it at your seat, um, you know, drape it over the uh, uh, the 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 uh, pew or such, and then go to the restroom if you need, and then come back and 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 uh, you know it's very easy to say the bracha because it's right on the neckband. As soon as you hold it up, you know and so boom, you're back. To, you know you're back in business. So, but if you have a tali katan, something that's like maybe thrown over your body as a sh kind of like a shirt maybe uh, something that you wouldn't be able to take off as easily, then um, the Shulchan Aruch here is saying that it's permitted to wear it into the toilet. It is not mandatory, let's keep going, quote, it is not mandatory to wear a garment that requires seat seat, but if a person wears such a garment, he is required to put seat seat in it. And, um, and it is proper to wear such a garment every day, preferably all day, but especially at prayer times. Let me just pause there again. In the passage here in Numbers that we are um, working from, Numbers chapter 15, the natural understanding of the Pasuk that Moshe instructs the children of Israel to place the, the uh, tzitzit on the garments that they wear, the natural understanding of the verse is that we wear them every day. However, again, uh, the, uh, the uh, Shulchan Aruch is saying that it is proper to wear such a garment every day, preferably all day, but especially at prayer times. And of course that remains true for a prayer shawl, thus the name prayer shawl. Let's keep going. On borrowing such a garment or other religious objects without permission, um, uh, there's a, a note to see 1414. Uh, for instance, borrowing a tzitzit from someone else. We might even get to that. Depends on how much I quoted in here. We'll see. Uh, let's keep going. Um, it is proper to wear the garment on top of one's other clothes and to hold the tzitzit and look at them while reciting the Shema. A blind man should wear tzitzit even though he cannot see them, but it is not proper for a woman to wear them. End quote. Now, that's where I, let me just stop and look at that. 
A blind man should wear them even though he can't see them. I can agree with that. Because the commandment to wear them, although it is couched in the language of so that you can look at them and remember to do all the commandments, we understand that there's a rule of thumb there, a general rule that we can derive, that even though someone is blind, God does in fact still want blind men who are part of the community, um, genuine Israelites, to in fact walk into the mitzvah. Thus, wearing tzitzit is a mitzvah. It's part of keeping Torah. And whether you're blind or not, the Torah is for you. So we don't um, we don't say that he can't wear them just because he can't look upon them. That that's that would be a rather silly argument. However, notice it said that it is not proper for a woman to wear them. There's where I disagree. A child should start wearing them when he is old enough to do it properly, as described in the next paragraph. On giving a garment with tzitzit to a non-Jew, they recommend you see chapter 20, verse 2. And again, um, <clears throat> I may have to just go back and the entire source so that I can find out what they have to say about giving it to a non-Jew. Let's keep reading on the bottom of page 8. A garment that has seat seat should be put on while standing. It should be put on the upper body and preferably, at least briefly, over the head. The seat seat should hang down in front and back. Each time such a garment is put on, the, the, the bracha, the blessing, um, who commanded us to, to uh, who commanded us about seat seat is recited. Um, <clears throat> Verses it says if the garment is is big enough then we wear the uh, then we recite the uh, the bracha that says to cover ourselves with seats. Do you know what I'm talking about? Let me turn real quick to the um, prayer book, the, the siddur here, and um, tell you what I'm, what I'm referring to here. Give me a second. On um, I'm using the art scroll here, and this happens to be this the uh, Sephardic version. On um, <clears throat> on page three. And I'm looking at the English here for a split second. It says, hold the talit katan. Talit katan, of course, is a small talit. Something that you could possibly wear. Like, for instance, I'm wearing a talit katan. It's a shirt. Um, it's like a t-shirt, really. Except it has four corners cut out so that um, it's recognizably not just a t-shirt with um, seat seat attached to it. It actually is engineered to have four corners, but the top half of it is more or less, it functions like a t-shirt. So I pull it over my head, and I'm able to wear it underneath my regular shirt, you know, if I wear a button-up shirt. So the blessing for wearing the Tali Katan is, Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments. And notice the last clause, and has commanded us regarding the commandment of tzitzit. However, if you turn to page 5 on this same prayer book, you'll notice that it says, unfold the talit. Now the talit, of course, is the prayer shawl. This is not a talit katan now. This is the talit kadol, or a larger talit. It's actually a prayer shawl, something that I'm only going to wear during shacharit, or mincha, or ma'ariv, depending on which... Um, uh, service I'm doing, uh, generally uh, not worn during um, certain times, but but most times worn during the prayer times. And so, if I'm, let's just pick on Shacharit, since that's the one I'm looking at right now. It's right on page four. This is a Shacharit service. It says, "Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with His commandments." And that part is the same, but notice the last clause: "And has commanded us to wrap ourselves in." The Hebrew says, And that bracha there, 
the, to, the commandment to wrap ourselves, lehitatev patzitzit, that is the one that shows up on the atara, on the neckband of just about every prayer shawl that you can buy today, okay? Okay, let's keep going. Let me just back up a little bit. We're on the top of page 9. And uh, it says, Each time such a garment is put on, the bracha who commanded us about tzitzit is recited. If the garment is big enough, then we recite to cover ourselves with tzitzit or to wrap ourselves with tzitzit. It goes on to say that this blessing is not recited when making tzitzit, but the blessing who kept us alive, the Shech Yanu, is recited instead, is recited then or when putting them on for the very first time. The blessing may be recited after dawn, but preferably when it is light enough to distinguish light from dark threads. And that's what I was alluding to when I said we wear them most times, but I know some who do not wear a talit uh, during evening uh, blessings, particularly after the sun has already gone down. It is recited in the morning. That's, of course, the shakarit uh, prayer I was just reading from there. It is recited in the morning even if the tzitzit were worn all night or put on before dawn. Before reciting the bracha, the blessing, a person should look at the tzitzit, separate them, examine them closely to ensure they are all intact, and remember that he is wearing them to be reminded of all the commandments. End quote. Now again, the um, source for the Shulchan Aruch that I was using there, if you look on the bottom of page 9, you'll see footnote number 3 is uh, taken from www.torah.org slash advanced slash shulchan dash aruch slash classes slash orachayim slash chapter 2.html. Or if you have the written notes, click on the link down there in the uh, footnote. It is, it is a live link, and it'll take you straight to the source where I got most of that information. Now let's also turn to the um, to the Talmud um, again. A lengthier quote from Tractate Menachot will actually reveal more on this controversial topic. Remember, we're asking the question: Why would the why wouldn't the woman be able to wear? Notice right there in the Shulchan Aruch, the bottom of page eight, it says it is not proper for a woman to wear them. So why not? Um, we're going to look at the Masechet Menachot Daf 42b, and when we do, we're going to look for this um, uh, discussion about women wearing them and or not wearing them, and uh, see if we can figure out why not. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Why not? Uh, you know what? What's what is this idea about um, time-based commandments and things like that? Uh, FYI, as we're reading through this, we're gonna ha- we're gonna read the word um, breita a few times, and a breita refers to an additional Talmudic comment that was not found in the Mishnah. It's usually added by the Torah scholars called the Tanaim. They lived in the period called the uh, the, the a Tana is a sage of sorts, a, you know, a, a, a wise person. And there's a whole time period that is uh, recognized as a time period for these particular writers. And we call this time period the period of the Tanaim. And they were known to add the uh, the Baraita to the uh, the Gemara. So let's jump into the Talmud, okay? Here we go. Menachot 42b from the Talmud reads this way, quote, And for what purpose do the rabbis use the expression that you may look upon it? which, by the way, comes from the um, verse uh, for the uh, tzitzit, right? Wear them so that you may look upon it and remember all my commandments. They go on to answer, They require it for the following teaching, that you may look upon it and remember, that is, look upon this precept and remember another precept that is dependent upon it, namely the reading of the Shema. As we have learned, from what time in the morning may the Shema be read? 
from the time that one can distinguish between blue and white. They go on to say, another Braita taught, quote, that you may look upon it and remember, that is, look upon this precept and remember another precept that is next to it, namely, the law concerning mingled stuffs. For it is written, quote, thou shalt not wear a mingled stuff, wool and linen together. That's the ashat, yes, by the way. Thou shalt make the twisted cords. And another Baraita taught that ye may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord. As soon as a person is bound to observe this precept, he must observe all the precepts. This is in accordance with Rabbi Simeon's view that the tzitzit is a precept dependent upon time. And another, in other words, um, we talked about that earlier, how about some commandments are time-bound. Um, some commandments uh, depend upon um, what time of the day you do them. Well, some commandments uh, cannot be done if you um, have distractions and things like that. And so, again, uh, the, the Talmud is just kind of touching in on that. And another Baraita taught that um, ye may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord. This precept is equal to all the precepts together. And a, another Baraita taught that ye may look upon it and remember and do them. Looking upon it leads to remembering the commandments, and remembering leads to doing them. They just kind of circle it back around. Rabbi Simeon Be, uh, B. Yochai says, Simeon Ben Yochai says, Whosoever is scrupulous in the observance of this precept, speaking about um, wearing tzitzit, whosoever is scrupulous in the observance of this precept is worthy to receive the divine presence. For it is written here that ye may look upon it, and there it is written, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and him shalt thou serve. End quote. Again, the Midrash, I'm sorry, the, the, um, the, um, the Mishnah is difficult to follow if you've never studied it. And even, even then, it takes a I don't want to say it takes a lifetime to master, but it really is best studied when you have two or three people together who can kind of uh, work out the logic, figure out what what the what the the, uh, the sentence is trying to say. And so, it's uh, it it can be confusing at times. I don't mean for it to be confusing in the commentaries that I'm teaching with you today. I just want you guys to get in kind of an inside peek into what some of the ancient sages had to say about this particular um, mitzvah. Let's go on and look at the midrash now. The midrash is a great collection of work uh, works that have been put together. There are commentaries on every book of the uh, of the five books of Torah. Plus, we've got other books that have been commented on Midrash Ruth, Midrash um, um, Ecclesiastes, and such. Let's now turn to Midrash Rabbah Numbers. And it's also going to echo this connection of the Tzitzit and the commandments. Again, it is, it's, it is enough that we can read the Peshat of the verse that says, wear them so that you will remember to keep the commandments. But it is interesting to hear the diff to the different degrees that the uh, ancient Jewish people have um, interpreted the, the, the commandment that where it says, you know, wear them so you remember the commandments. The Midrash Rabbah to Numbers um, reads this way, and this is from, uh, what is this, 17.6? Is that right? Yes, Midrash Rabbah Numbers 17.6 reads, quote, that, ye, that ye not go about after your own heart and, and your own eyes. Um, and then, of course, they usually start out by quoting a verse, and that's the verse that we just read in um, chapter 15, verse 39. The heart, and then they go on to say, the heart and the eyes are the touts of the body, for they lead the body astray, that ye may remember and do all my commandments. Verse 40 from the Numbers passage. 
they, they comment, this may be illust illustrated by the case of one of one who has been thrown into the water. The captain stretches out a rope and says to him, Take hold of this rope with your hand and do not let go. For if you do, you will... I'm sorry, try it again. Take hold of this rope with your hand and do not let go. For if you do, speaking of letting go, if you do, you will lose your life. In the same way, the Holy One, blessed be he, said to Israel, as long as you adhere to the commandments, then ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive every one of you this day. Which is, of course, a lift from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 4. In the same strain, it says, take fast hold of instructions. Let not her go. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. And that's, of course, lifted from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 13. And then they go on to quote, um, go back to Numbers, okay? Which reads, and be holy unto your God. That's uh, chapter 15, verse 40. Their comment, when you perform the commandments, you are sanctified, and the fear of you lies upon the idolaters. But if you part from the commandments, you become profaned. The Holy One, blessed be he, said to Israel, In this world, owing to the influence of the evil inclination, you keep away from the commandments, but in the time to come, I shall eradicate it from you, as it, is, as it says. And then what, the, what they're going to do is they're going to uh, quote a passage out of the, out of the uh, Tanakh. As it says, I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, etc. And that's, of course, from Ezekiel. Um, 36 verse 26 and following end quote good information just to let us know that um, it is very important that we grasp pun intended the truth surrounding the seat seat and the wearing of them it's no arbitrary matter that God said I want you to put these on and remember my commandments to do them obviously you can remember the commandments whether you're wearing seat seat or not however the seat seat now becomes a commandment in and of itself. So in one way, you can't really say, I'm keeping the commandments. I don't need to wear a seat seat to be reminded to keep the commandments. Because the seat seat itself is a commandment. Do you understand? And by neglecting to wear seat seat, how can one say he's Torah observant? It doesn't work. You can't have it both ways. So God is wise in giving us one of the commandments that actually reminds us to keep the commandments. It's a very wise and simple way to look at it, but God himself knows the weaknesses of a man and the proclivities that we have for forgetting things. And so the, uh, the mitzvah of the, of the uh, tzitzit is a very practical one. Let's keep reading my commentary. We're in the middle of page 10. According to Rabbi Abraham Isaac Cook, um, th uh, he's the, um, he was the first chief rabbi of the modern state of Israel. He lived from 1865 to 1935. Um, the accompanying tassels and we talked about this a little earlier, but the accompanying tassels do not even need to be white. And the reason I brought this part into my commentary is for the express fact that there are some people that I meet, both Messianic and non-Messianic, who take great, um, <coughs> what do I want to say? They take great offense. Let me just use that word. They take a great offense at seeing others wear tzitzit where the techelet is there, but the surrounding threads are not white. The commandment doesn't say they have to be white. It doesn't say they cannot be white. And so Rav Cook um, is noted for teaching that they don't need to be white. So let's observe his comments preserved for us, primarily from his commentaries on the Talmudic Midrashim. Um, this time it is um, um, Ein Ayah, and the prayer book, which is the Olat Riyah. Quote, 
We are accustomed to the tassels being white, but the actual legal requirement is that they be the same color as the garment. This, this common color indicates that actions derive their power and direction from the garment, in essence, the character traits. Let me just pause there and say that I firmly agree with Rav Cook there. Because if, it, if the original instructions were to attach the cord of blue to the trailing threads that came off of the garment itself, then if I, were t if I weaved a blue garment and then I left the um, trailing threads right there at the corner long, or wherever I trailed them off at the hem, if I left those long, then the trailing threads are going to be the same color, obviously, because they're made of the same material, as the shirt or the garment that I'm weaving. It is then that I add the tachelet as the outsider coming into the garment. Does that make sense? Okay. And that's exactly what Rav Cook is going to say. Let's pick up the reading again. Quote, However, we add an additional thread of sky blue, tachelet. This color reminds us of hidden sublime matters. And he goes on to name them. The sea, the sky, the sapphire stone, and the holy throne. Sky blue is the background color of the universe, he goes on to say. The Tehillet thread connects us to the very source of life, from whom all sources flow, together with the other threads, which match the color of the garment and represent the diverse range of activity. The sky blue thread complements and completes the function of the tassels. He goes on to say, or conclude, quote, the sages taught that the mitzvah, the mitzvah of wearing tzitzit corresponds to all of the other 612 mitzvot. And then he quotes the passage from Numbers 15.39. When you see the tassels, you, re you will remember all of God's commandments. Quote. Wearing this special garment and its tassels reflects the splendor of attributes and deeds by which the Torah envelops and clothes the Jewish soul. End quote. And I lifted that from, um, it's actually it's an adaptation from Olat Re'iyah, Volume 1, pages 4 through 5. So, if you're gathering now as we've been studying this topic, and we've just kind of been going back and forth, um, you can see that the commandment to wear tzitzit is a very special and, and unique one. On the one hand, again, it's very profound because wearing tzitzit is designed to remind us of all of the other mitzvot. And yet it's very simple in the fact that God is simply asking us to um, alter our clothing, as it were. For those of you who don't already have tzitzit attached to your garments, um, it is practically very easy these days to simply go to a Judaica store or go online somewhere and buy a tali katan, something you can wear on your person every day, or to go somewhere and get tzitzit that you can attach to your belt loops or something like that. Now, although the requirement to place the blue thread has existed from antiquity, quite literally because the Torah requires it even at the Peshat level, right? Um, the literal interpretation of the verse says to place the techelet there. This mitzvah was not without its problems when it came to the fulfillment of wearing the blue. And this is where the Jewish people have been challenged. And this is also going to answer the question as to why... In some cases, when you go to buy a tzitzit, a talit katan, a talit gadol, the blue thread is not there. And those of you who are not familiar with the reasoning behind it may ask yourself, why didn't the Jewish person put the blue thread in there when the verse says blue? We're going to talk about that right now, okay? You see, the, uh, the blue dye itself, from ancient times, was actually extracted from a very small snail uh, known as a chilazun. And this snail lived off the northern coast of Israel near the modern day of Lebanon today. 
Well, at any rate, the blue dye that was um, uh, uh, provided by the snail was the only one deemed authentic, as it were, by the sages for dyeing the woolen threads of the tzitzi. That's what they. That's that's just how it came to be, and there's nothing wrong with that. So what we find is that history actually worked. History actually worked against the average Jew when it came to acquiring the blue dye used in these fringes. So let's turn now to a commentary by Jacob Milgram. Again, this is my JPS commentary set. Uh, this time to the Book of Numbers. I'm going to read a quote from page 412 from this commentary. All right. In his excellent Torah commentary to the Book of Numbers, Jacob Milgram draws our attention to the exaggerated expenses of the blue dye and how it impacted its would-be purchasers. Let's l listen to this. All right. Quote. Though the snails are plentiful, the amount of dye each yields is infinitesimal. Okay, it's very, very small. In 1909, tests by the, Aust by the Austrian chemist Paul Friedlander demonstrated that 12,000 snails were needed to provide 1.4 grams of pure dye. Wow. No wonder that during the reign of Nabon Nabonidus, the last king of Babylon, who reigned from 555 to 539 BCE, purple wool of that day, of course, where that's where we get the dye, purple, uh, purple wool is dyed using snail dye. Purple wool was 40 times more expensive than wool dyed with other colors. In 200 BCE, one gram of the dye costs, and this is using modern... Um, modern uh, um, money account, modern uh, uh, um, dollar uh, uh, prices. One gram of a dye cost $84 or $36,000 per pound. Diocletian paid the equivalent of $8,460 for 328 grams of purple silk um, from Sidon or $11,724 per pound. In 300 CE, this is of course now after the destruction of the temple, the demand raised the price of this Sidonian silk to $98,700 per pound. And again, all of these figures are in modern prices, or at the time that um, Milgram wrote this commentary, it was in $1984. Okay? Look at those prices. $98,700 per pound of the um, of the blue dye needed to make this uh, tachelet. Okay, so we seem to have plenty of justification, really, if we, if we kind of wind our commentary down. We seem to have plenty of justification, both from Torah and from, and from Talmud, for wearing the talit in the fringes. But can a woman wear one? Have I asked, answered the question yet or not? In one sense, the rabbis have said, no, a woman can't wear them. She's exempt from all time-bound positive mitzvot. But many Jewish people, didn't. It, this information didn't set well with them. There's a modern invention. It's a recent invention. It's called a Gitah Zahav Talit, and it was created to allow the woman to fulfill the mitzvah of wrapping herself in tzitzit. Again, it is recognized that traditionally, women were not obligated to fulfill the mitzvah. It, it isn't really that they were prohibited, per se, as it was that, notice the patronization, in my opinion, that they're saying she's not obligated to fulfill the mitzvah. This was due, of course, to the fact that the tzitzit are worn during the daylight hours, with the exception of the high, high holiday hours. 
the high holidays. Now, of course, when you're asking why only the daylight hours, well, the rabbis looked at the verse and it said, so that you may look upon them and re uh, remember to do all my commandments. Well, in the days before there was electricity, you could only look at things when there was um, adequate lighting, and that was during the daytime. People didn't study Torah at night. Why? Because you had a Torah scroll that was very meticulously put together, and the only way to read it was by candlelight. You're going to put a candle near an ancient Torah scroll? I don't think so. And so they, the practice came that they didn't study Torah at night, or at least into the wee hours, unless you were studying it by memory. You didn't dare put a candle near a Torah scroll. Thus also wearing tzitzit at night served no purpose because you couldn't see them. That the, the, at least see the logic. Even if you disagree with it, you at least have to acknowledge it, okay? So, but nowadays we have modern lights. I mean, I'm sitting in a room, and it's 8.30 p.m., and it's dark outside, but I've got a light on in the room, so uh, thus I can wear tzitzit. So, again, this was due to the fact, um, the women not having to wear them, it was due to the fact that tzitzit are worn during daylight hours, with the exception of the high holy days, when women were occupied with many other duties. Throughout time, women have taken on this mitzvah, and it is interesting to note now watch this, listen to this. It is interesting to note that Rabbi Judah the Prince, who is Rabbi Judah the Prince? He was the editor of the Mishnah. That's right, Yehuda Hanasi. He tied tzitzit onto his wife's apron. She would run around the house and get busy and have her apron on, and so he tied tzitzit on that sucker so that she could fulfill the mitzvah. Bravo! Way to go, Rabbi Judah. Now, Talking about the, the special, the, uh, the Gitad Zahav Talit, if this special garment cannot be found, and, and, and it, it is hard to find, then now I'm going to go ahead and give you some, I can't give you official halacha, especially over a podcast, but what I can do is make some strong suggestions. So you women who are curious about whether or not you can and should wear them, listen up. Or if you men who are listening to this and you want to help your wives out, um, go ahead and pass this information along to them, okay? What I'm suggesting, as, as a leader, and, and keep in mind that I, I used to have a congregation of my own uh, back in the um, late 90s. I, I was the rabbi at a congregation down in Dothan, Alabama for about two and a half, well, no, for about a year. Um, I was stationed there while I was in the military for two and a half years, and during one of those stretches of time, I was actually the rabbi at Dothan Messianic uh, Congregation. Well, I'm going to pull some of the um, suggestions that I gave to the women who were there. I suggest that women might purchase a nice, feminine-looking prayer shawl, perhaps adorned with lace, you know, so that it's definitely uh, feminine-looking. Get a rabbi to attach some biblical fringes. Okay, that means including the the authentic blue fringes, and it doesn't have to be a rabbi; it can be a friend. But but in case you aren't able to attach them on your own, get somebody to help you out there. Okay, I'm speaking to you, women. And you know what? Start changing the cultural norm. Start changing the religious norm. Women should be wearing these things. However, I'm not suggesting that you women do something that flies in the face of clear leadership within your own community. If your pastor or your Messianic rabbi has not given you permission to do so, you may want to express this concern of yours to him first. Mention it to him. Tell him, you know what, I really feel that the Spirit is is drawing me into walking into this mitzvah. What do you think? If you're married, ask your husband first. If you're single, then ask the leadership. 
After all, again, in my opinion, women are not second-class citizens in the eyes of Hashem. And it's not just my opinion. Obviously, you're not second-class citizens, women. So why should we, we men, relegate you to the status of second-class citizen in our Messianic communities? It's wrong, people. It's wrong. Our women are first-class citizens. We're all first-class citizens in Messiah. So what I'm suggesting here, again, has been done in the congregation where I was a rabbi, and no one had a problem with it. No one. Well, obviously, I was a rabbi, so what could they say? I must warn, however, again, that most non-Messianic congregations probably won't be as receptive to the idea of challenging centuries of tradition. To be sure, most non-Messianic congregations won't even allow the blue thread to be woven into the tassels, even though the Torah specifically commands it to be placed there. So, there are differing levels of... Um, of difficulty that arise depending on which community you're in. If you're listening to my podcast and you attend a non-Messianic congregation and you're Messianic and you attend there, well, the first of all, I say bravo. But number two, don't just strap them on, put the blue in there, and just parade yourself about. First of all, don't be haughty and proud as you're wearing them anyway. It's a sign of humility that you have been uh, permitted, as it were, by God to, to step into the mitzvah. All of God's commandments are privileges. We have been given divine permission, as it were, to step into and walk into his ways. So we shouldn't be proud or haughty ever. But wearing the tzitzit is something that is meant to be visible in public. And so it's not like you're wearing your Sunday best dress. You know, your Easter dress or your, your you know, those of you within Christian tradition understand what I'm talking about. It's not like you're wearing something to for the purpose of showing it off. Wearing the tzitzit is an act of humility. So, let me just answer the question, all right? Can a woman wear a talit? Well, um, I suppose as long as it doesn't send the wrong signal to the other male members, I don't see why not. Okay, again, it's a sensitive issue. Check with leadership. Check with the men in the group. As previously mentioned, my first choice would be a feminine versus the traditional male-oriented-styled one, okay? Purchase a feminine one, and I know, again, I've got a, a good friend, a Talmida. She has a talit. It's... It's predominantly white, but it's got red corners where the fringes go. And where the atara is, where the neckband is, it's red there. And instead of the traditional blessing, you know, the blessing over reciting the, um, donning the talit, instead of that being there, instead, I believe it's it's a verse out of Proverbs from the Proverbs 31, the, uh, the woman of valor uh, right there. It's one of the verses out of that um, passage. And I think that's a great way to manufacture a talit that is specifically aimed at women. I've seen other talits that um, have uh, themes from Esther um, uh, sewn into them, and so that they are definitely speaking to the women, saying, look, this is for you. So, again, if you're going to wear one, my first choice is a feminine versus a male-looking styled one. In other words, um, when you go to the Judaica store these days, they, they will sometimes stock feminine fe, uh, a female talit. And if you're a woman, don't just buy the male one or the non-feminine feminine one. Buy the feminine one, okay? Because the Torah does say that women aren't supposed to wear the garment of a man. And if they have them on uh, there for sale, where you have a feminine and a masculine one, then women, you are then obligated to purchase the feminine version one, okay? If you go to the store and they don't have a feminine version one, all they've got is the traditional ones, well then, perhaps you might be safe in buying that one. Now again, if you cannot purchase a feminine shawl, and there's really no reason 
why a standard lady shawl cannot be found somewhere for purchase you know go to Saks Fifth Avenue go to Macy's go to go to go to Dillard's um, go to the, the 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 discount store somewhere and buy yourself a nice looking uh, um, uh, prayer shawl not even really a prayer shawl just buy a lady shawl and and put the seat seat on there and make it into a prayer shawl okay so again I don't see why you couldn't find one or Many women are seamstresses, you know. Sherry, who uh, does the uh, Tor Talk radio show with us, she could probably make her own. I wouldn't put it past her. Purchase a traditional small tallit. If you can't, um, if you can't find a feminine one, you can't find the uh, the special one, and you, and you don't want to do the shawl, then go ahead and purchase a traditional small tallit. Okay, maybe sew some laces onto it, tailoring it to look like a female version of the male one. Get creative there. All of these suggestions, again, need to take into account the various sensitivities that many congregations or churches these days um, currently have. You married women, consult the opinion, of, the opinion of your husband. Makes sense, right? You single women, ask your rabbi or your pastor. Approach the concept with a sensible amount of caution and by all means bathe it in prayer. Pray about it. I'm not saying pray about whether or not it's right for you to wear it. What I mean is, the Torah is given to Am Yisrael. If you, if you name the name of Messiah, you are part of Israel. So, you've already got permission from God to wear it. What I mean is, pray about the way you should approach it within your community. That's what I mean about that. In other words, if Hashem doesn't want you, I'm speaking to you women, if He doesn't want you to cause unnecessary strife in the public gatherings, then I suggest that you practice your tzitzit mitzvah keeping in the privacy of your own home. As, as, as sad a commentary as that is, sometimes you have to start in the home before you can um, be graduated, as it were, into the community. And God understands your needs. Please, God understands. So don't think that you're going to be stuck in the home wearing your tzitzit all the time. Eventually, I think God will change the heart of, your com- of the people in your community to allow you to step into that role. We should not, both men and women, we should not seek to intentionally offend the conscience of another believer for the sake of our own personal interpretation of the Torah, especially if the other believer might be weaker. I've seen people do this before, and it's wrong. I've seen women say, you know what? It doesn't matter what my community thinks. I'm a, I'm a child of the king, and I can wear these things. And they go ahead and strap them on, and they start offending people within their community. That's wrong, too. Even though the Torah gives you license to wear it, the Torah does not give you the license to, to blatantly offend the, uh, the, the conscience of the other people. So you've got to balance this thing out. In fact, to be sure, whenever, we're, whenever, whenever wounding the conscience of another person, another believer, is a possibility, it doesn't really matter what the Torah or what the situation is it, it, you know, that you're involved in, God is not pleased about us wounding the conscience of other peoples. This does not please the Holy One. So, again, much more can be said concerning the blue threads, the mixtures of the threads, whether or not one should wear them outwardly or tucked into one's pants. But those discussions are really reserved for most men. So, I wrote a commentary. It's available on the site. It's called Kippa and Talit Part 1 and Part 2. And in that, you will see some information geared at, towards the men. I think it's Keep on Talit Part 2, where I actually take up the discussion of whether or not a man or a woman should wear the, the tzitzit on their belt loops. I'm not even going to talk about it 
in this particular commentary. I was really focusing on whether or not women should um, don the tallit or wear the tzitzit to begin with. My preference for women, just so you know, I, I, I was raised in a Baptist school. I was raised in a, in a home where women were women and men were men. And, and in, that, in, that, in that setting, women were uh, most likely to be found wearing a skirt or a dress. Okay? Uh, and for that reason, down to this day, I always prefer to see a woman in a dress or a skirt, as opposed to seeing her in pants. It's just so much more ladylike to me. I'm not saying that it's wrong for women to wear pants. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, I'm, I'm just talking about my personal preference, being raised as a Baptist. And uh, in that setting, now that I've come full circle and I'm Messianic, meaning I've, I've embraced my Hebraic lifestyle as a, as a former Baptist, um, even now when I go to shul and I see a woman wearing a skirt or wearing a dress, I prefer to see her wearing tzitzit, not on the loops of her pants, but rather attached to her dress. And whether she wears them right up where the belt would fall, fall if she's wearing a belt, whether she wears them up there, or whether she makes them really small knobby and puts them... If she's wearing a longer dress, it's fine. She can wear them down near the hem of her dress. As long as her dress is long enough so that it doesn't draw attention, um, unnecessary attention to her legs. Um, in other words, if, if you're a woman and you wear like a short skirt where the hem of the skirt falls at maybe your knees, or these days it's vogue to wear a skirt even to church that's maybe a little bit above the knee, that's kind of more contemporary, that's all right with that. I, I'm not advocating mini skirts, obviously. But if you're wearing a skirt that's maybe closer to your knee, then wearing seat seat as a woman, where they're down there near that hem, in my opinion, draws unnecessary attention from the male part of your congregation, from the male crowd, draws unnecessary attention down to your legs. And so my suggestion is, if you're wearing a short skirt, I suggest if you're going to wear the seat seat, wear them up near the belt area, near your waist, okay? Pin them up there or something to that effect. But if you're wearing a longer dress, you know, a dress like, where it's closer to your ankles or you know longer down towards your calves then maybe it's okay if you wear them um, down on the hem so just some suggestions you know just keep in mind the um, the practical application and the uh, the um, very real um, dangers of wearing seat seat and, and placing them at a place where you know people are going to be looking at them and if you're a woman you don't always want people looking at the wrong places okay just common sense okay that being said um, Let's call this part D, and uh, it's about 42 minutes into the commentary. We don't have much long, much further to go, maybe 10 or 15 minutes more. We're at the bottom of page 12, and when we return, we will conclude our commentary to Parashat Shalach Lecha. Okay, stay tuned. <laughs> 